verses 1 to 5, which can be found on page 1 in the Old Testament section of the Church Bibles. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and the darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. This is the word of the Lord. May I lead you in a prayer? Let's pray. Prayer of King David in Psalm 51. Create in me, O God. Father, as we, your people, meet on the day of resurrection, we thank you for your creative power. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would create in us something new this night that we might daily be renewed and seek to follow Jesus Christ day by day, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Roland, for that introduction. We're looking at creation this evening, a few verses from Genesis chapter 1, but the rainfall could indicate I probably should be in Genesis chapter 9, but it's Genesis chapter 1. In a few moments' time, I'm going to take an adventurous view, uh, look at this a few verses in Genesis 1 in four different ways. But way of an introduction, there's Genesis 1, speaks about God's creation. And as the Spirit hovers over the waters, there's a particularly pertinent point for today's culture or gender-obsessed climate. The word the Spirit of God is doing his creative act is feminine. And so too in Proverbs chapter 1, where wisdom, the creative act of God, or the wisdom of God, is also described in feminine ways. And of course we come to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, the creative act of God becomes flesh. You have Colossians chapter 1, in him, in Christ, all things hold together everything in heaven and on earth, all that's been created by God is held together in Christ. You have Hebrews chapter 1, and of course you've got the matchless uh, Revelation chapter 1, the Alpha at the beginning, and he is going to be there at the end, the Omega. Now it's not just therefore in the scriptures that you have God creating the world and then putting his feet up and enjoying the spectacle and what unfolds before him. God's creative processes are continuing to be at work all the way through the scriptures. As I've just said, Proverbs 1, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, and Revelation 1, and you can probably think of some others as well. But where we start in Galatians You start as you mean to go on. I'm sure you've had relationships where you just kind of feel, oh, I've got off on the wrong foot. 
If you want to understand the creation, creative narrative or the creative purposes of God through our lives, then you really need to start, as you mean to go on, on the right foot with a proper understanding of Genesis. I'm going to look at that in four ways, probably with just one distinctive pastoral application. But as we look at these four creative ways that God sets his mind to create good things in his world, I'm sure there'll be some things for us to enjoy and reflect on on the way. Another link from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18, this doctrine of creation is all the way there through the scriptures. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it, he did not create it a chaos, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. You'll probably hear me say this uh, oftentimes, but it is true that God is the only one who creates. Every time this word create is used, it's only used of God. So behold, I'm doing a new thing. David prays, create in me a new and contrite heart. God is always creating things, new things, surprising things, active things in our lives today. We're God's workmanship. God has created us in advance to do good works. God's original, that's what Genesis means in the Hebrew, originality. He's creating something and this is our origin. There's only someone who's boring and predictable and whose ways are completely reliable. Nothing new, nothing creative, nothing of God about him. And of course, Paul writes of Satan in this way. We're not unaware of his schemes. He's always predictable and he does everything against God. Now the four ways I want to look at uh, the first few verses of Genesis are from this, um, it might sound a little bit of a kind of heavy duty way of getting into this text, but it's through criticism. Now if you're criticised, you don't generally enjoy that experience, but if you're appreciated, then that's more uh, confirming for us. And so as we look at textual criticism, hang in there, literary criticism, historical criticism, and canonical criticism, we're not criticizing and taking apart the scriptures, not least the first few verses of the Bible. What we're trying to do is to appreciate them for what they're worth. And in understanding them and appreciating them in a thoughtful way, we can think about how they apply to our lives. So the first thing, therefore, what would a textual appreciation or a textual understanding, or to be fair, if I was writing an essay, a textual criticism of Genesis, the first few verses, tell us clearly God's mentioned and clearly God is creating something that's new, that's going to last, that's beautiful, unlike the other side that's boring, predictable, and at the end, of course, will waste away and be destroyed. What God creates is what he sees, and he describes at the end of each verse, each act of creation, we're only looking at one this evening, between darkness and light as they're separated, 
God sees that it was good. Quite literally in the Hebrew, Vayakitov, God sits back and looks, it's good. This is repeated seven times until we get to the conclusion and God describes something not just as good and beautiful, but as very beautiful and very good. Now, one of the vicar's holiday treats, although this is not going to happen, as you'll hear in a moment, in a repeated fashion, is to treat himself to exquisite male grooming procedures. Steady on. Just the shaving, badger hair, lots of foam, and the end of the procedure is meant to be smooth as the baby's proverbial bottom. Except at the start of the holiday, because I've been through a long, tiring time at work, I was asleep in the chair as this process, which I paid some £25 for, give me the works, I said. And when I opened my eyes, I found I was looking somewhere between a hybrid of a walrus and a human being, with two great sticks coming out of my nose. And contained within the sticks was something that could be described as the Great Hulk's bogey, which was a, a, a piece of green gel, And these sticks were about eight or nine inches long. I thought, and then I realized what might be happening. With a twist and a pull, it wasn't just this that was getting smooth. It was everything inside here. Oh, and I paid for this. Moral of the story, keep your eyes open. Which is, of course, what God did when he was creating the world. This might be smooth when God kept his eyes open. It was beautiful and wonderful and very, very good. We're God's workmanship. God sees us as beautiful. Jesus, so it is described, only did what pleased the Father. He only used his creative life, the Imago Dei. We are created in God's image. So Jesus only did what was beautiful in God's sight, only did what was well-pleasing to his Father. And then later on it says in the epistles, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what beautiful thing you need to do uh, with your life, for that's how God was creating the world, keeping his eyes open and wondering before it what a beautiful, lovely thing. I wonder what God's creative process is through our own lives. That's what a textual appreciation of Genesis would be. Is he creating something beautiful in us that's pleasing God? Now the literary appreciation of this passage is that Genesis clearly is a story. Some people would describe it as a myth Don't think when you hear that word it's untrue or we're somehow going off the rails. But Genesis is one of many creation myths, all in circulation at the time. And there's one distinct difference between this story of creation and all the other stories of creation. Not surprisingly, Elohim, God, is mentioned in this one, but none of the other ones as to how and why we came into being. 
not time to go into all the other creation stories that were around. It was almost as if you go for a summer read and you look at all the bestsellers and you've got the biological way as to how the world has come into existence. You've got the sociological way of how we all relate together. You've got the financial way of how we are all sort of dependent on other people and how is it that some people get richer and a lot of people get poorer. And you've got what I might call the modern malaise of well, I don't even know why we're here. And so we're just there, aren't we? And we just make the most of it. Or we're bored or we're exciting. There's another bestseller, which of course we need to encourage other people to read. Or even read the book of our lives as to how we go forward as human beings with the life God has given us. Created in the image of God to do good and beautiful, pleasing, creative acts in our world today. And if you find some of our friends or family members or many people in our community living off the script of something else that's got nothing of God in it, friends, there's only one way that's going. There's only one person that's told them, let me trick you, he's no good. Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see how beautiful God's creative purposes are. Keep your eyes open. What are your friends and colleagues' reasons for being? A, a literary analysis of Genesis would tell us there's only one way we can describe the origin of the world, and that's that God is at its heart. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the historical reflection on the book of Genesis, uh, we've looked at what you get if you look at the text of Genesis. There's something beautiful to see. We've looked at something of the fact that God is in this script, and he very much needs to be. But what does it tell us when we look at the historical analysis or appreciation of the book of Genesis. I might say in passing that all of these tools, all of these reflections, and I'm sure there are others, you can use on any passage of Scripture. It helps keep things fresh. It helps us appreciate what's there before us, how we can understand it, and how we can live in the light of it. I don't mean to upset anyone who maybe has got a simplistic understanding of this, but, it, but it's not Adam and Eve who wrote Genesis, okay? They didn't just kind of come out on the seventh day and then think, oh, we must write this story down. And so commentators say it's probably not even Moses who wrote it. Most reliable sources tell us that this book we're studying this evening was written B.C. 500 or 600. In other words at a time of Israel's history when they were at their most turbulent, stressed, and uh, experiencing a lot of division. How is it then that the Holy Spirit, in the providence of God, causes this text to be written amongst all these other bestsellers that are there for the people of the day to pick out and read? Probably because when people are tested, when they're stretched, they need to know where they've come from, where they've originated from. Who do you know that is going through a tough 
or difficult time. When that happens, all that's there before most people is the pain, the turbulence, the difficulties they're finding. According to his, a historical appreciation of how God records his greatest creative act, what we need to remind people of, and here perhaps for ourselves, there's an origin, there's a purpose, there's a plan, there's someone who loves you, and there's someone who will bring something beautiful out of this process you're going through. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was beautiful and it was very good. Hard, of course, to hear when you're going through it. But these things were written for God's people during exactly such a time as that. Coming into land, the last form of appreciation is not too difficult to work out, but someone in the 70s made a, a particular sale of this, Brevard Child's uh, canonical criticism. That's to say we have scriptures before us. It starts at Genesis, and as Roland's indicated, it goes all the way through to the end and the book of Revelation. But they're ordered in a particular way, not in a sense of throwing some dice out, and we'll let the Holy Spirit decide which order they come in. But Genesis is at the start for a particular reason. All of us need to know our place and our purpose and our origin in life. Well, how therefore might we be creative people? How might we live lives that are wholesome and fulfilled that release the proper creative purposes that God has designed for us. We need to start as we mean to go on, and we need to follow our maker. The first thing God did in a creative process, and it's there in verse 3, it's quite striking. He saw that the light was good. In other words, he wasn't asleep on the job, like the vicar while he was having his fancy shave. He was awake and looking. And in order that the creative process might continue, the next thing that happens is he separates the light from the darkness. It's almost as if God can't see the wood for the trees, so he makes a way. If you're wanting to be creative, you'll need to carve out time for this. If your desk is untidy, that you need to give attention to something else, the first creative act you need to do is to tidy it up so you can attend to something. If you want to be good at something, you're probably going to have to separate it from something else. This is exactly what God, the Elohim, the great creator, does. And I can't see any way other than for us than to follow suit. Perhaps the Spirit of God will be indicating to you if you're to be fulfilled, creative, made in the image of God, and fulfill his plan and purpose, what it is you'll need to separate in order that you might experience light. It's worth just saying that this is Genesis chapter 1. We're nowhere near the next plan in this series of six, the fallen, frail, fickle side of humanity. There's nothing morally right or wrong with the light and darkness. It's just two different things that are seen to be beautiful before God. Were the Lord's workmanship 
Uh, he's created good works for us in advance to do that are beautiful, very beautiful. And sometimes we need to separate not just the good from the bad, but what we need to do to be creative and express ourselves fully created in the image of God. Let me lead you in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you were the one who only did what pleased your Father. Help us to be pleasing to you. Help us to be creative before you. We pray for your world, which was seen as good and beautiful. And thank you that were your workmanship. Please help us to make those choices in life that we might fulfill all we can be and are in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.